yeah hi um sorry if i'm not super energetic i didn't go to sleep until one today yeah so she's tired but uh this week on the podcast we are going to be listening to paul waddy he was diagnosed with autism at the age of 41. He's wrote a book called The Gorilla Raspies and he's also done a show called Gorilla Raspies. And some of you might have seen him at the Edinburgh Fringe recently because he's been there. Um, I'm quite excited to listen to this because he was at the autism show and I didn't get the chance to meet him. I um, didn't because I wasn't there. So yeah, so um, this Rip. week, this week, what are we doing this week? We are going to... Sleep. We're not. We're going away for the weekend. Well, we are going to sleep, else we'll die of sleep deprivation. We are going to Newcastle. We're going to meet up with Richie Smith from Awesome Tistic for lunch in Weatherspoons, obviously. We are going to Beamish if the weather stays dry. We are meeting up with our friend from the VIC group. Mm-hmm. We are then going to meet up with an old friend. So we're staying over at the northeast most of this weekend. Probably going to play Cards Against Humanity. Definitely going to play Cards Against Humanity. Which I am the master of, um, according to the two games I've played. She is a master. So, yeah, have a listen to this podcast, because I think it's going to be really, really interesting. And we'll see you in a minute, or an hour, however long it takes to listen to it. Well, we'll see you... If, if if the podcast is somehow shortened to a minute by some sort of weird glitch, we'll see you in a minute. Um, yeah. I hope that wouldn't happen, though, because it's probably pretty cool. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, we're going to listen to it now, and then we'll be back. See you soon. <gasps> we love Annette, and we love a chat. We love to help, and that's a fact. So we have made it our mission to find stuff out. From diagnosis and education, slimming out of pure frustration. Chat to folks who've been there too, collect it together and share it with you. If you know someone we should speak to, send them our way and that's what we'll do. We like to have our sensory natters. You know what? Right, hello everybody. Um, it's Jenny with another set. And today I have Paul Waddy. Is that how you say Waddy? 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 Wadey. Wadey. There we go. Had it wrong. Paul Wadey. Now, Paul is from Gorilla Aspies. And you can... Is that the right way to say it? I have a solo show and a book called Gorilla Aspies. Okay. There we go. So you can look all up on paulwadey.com, which is W-A-D-Y. So paulwady.com. Um, we met uh, a week or so ago at the autism show in Birmingham and got chatting at the stand and I thought Paul seemed like an interesting character that would be good to have on the show. So how are you today, Paul? Very good. I've got a long day and a long tomorrow to face. I've got to uh, go to stay with my friends across London tonight where she's having one of her full moon soirees and I'll be doing the whole of my Gorilla Aspie solo show set. Uh, converting everyone in the room to autism, after which I'll wake up about 7 the next morning and go to Houston and go all the way to Manchester, where I shall be doing the third and last autism show. Brilliant. Okay. So let's start with your story and how you ended up with your Gorilla Asby show. And just from the very beginning, like, when did you recognize that you were different and... How did... The question. Mm. I have always been different from other people, but there was... No mental health issues from an early age to be able to label myself in a conventional sense of being different. You get called every name under the sun, 
but I modeled through. I was always called weird, mad, crazy, mental, just about every term everybody knows and thinks they've had said to them rather than they said to others. I found out I was autistic when I was 41 uh, in events that you can find out about in the Guardian Weekend magazine. Got arrested in a cinema. Ooh. These lusty little kids in, in a cinema in Bristol made out my friend and I attacked them. By the time we'd been cleared of common assault, because we didn't do anything of the sort, I basically told them to behave. Yeah, I took one on the shoulder and they ran out and made out and I'd strangled one of them. You see. So I spent six months calling myself the Bristol Strangler. <laughs> And even wrote a song about it. And eventually we were acquitted, of course. But by that time, uh, my sister-in-law insisted I had this condition. Now, I had whatever mental health issues, get down, show, whatever mental health issues I've had in the past, I'd always recovered from because I was very good at bouncing back. So I was kind of this Captain Scarlet-like autistic adult who could always take abuse. We'd seen Rayman in the cinema, my brother and I, I couldn't couldn't identify with the figure because I was very good at getting on top of my nature and, and purposing it in my direction. So one reason I'm doing the show and the book I am now is, is because I am able to direct my energy single-mindedly every day. And I've developed all these skill sets, which until I was 41, I never had any use for, like writing, performing, went to a drama school briefly. Couldn't last because, let's say, I couldn't relate to people or even myself, and recording, what do you believe? Recording music, recording audio, and, and even video. All this technical, and then when I'm autistic, suddenly I have, when I'm autistic, that's right, new identity at the age of 41. It's the one diagnosis you get, and everyone else in the community congratulates you for getting it. Anyway, I uh, took about six years after that to work out how to write my book, Gorilla Aspies, how to teach autistic people to bully, seduce, manipulate, and coerce. In other words, be a normal person. And it takes you through your conversion to being neurotypical or normal stage by stage. And in so doing, it shows you what it's like being autistic. It's not pity porn. Everything I do is positive. There's a lot of autistic people. When I do talk about being autism, oh, I suffer this. Oh, I suffer that. And then when I was 80, it got worse. Oh, and, I, and they did this to me. They did. And I can't do things. But I'm very good with numbers. And you think, well, this is, what, what, what? All right, we've heard this a million times before. It's like that communication with the world is only on the basis of, of trying to offload because they don't see any other reason to communicate with others apart from talking about the obsession. So I, uh, like some kind of socialized Rosetta Stone, able to, to relate to the world, produced a book which is regarded as funny and regarded as insightful because I don't do all those things. I just try to talk about these different aspects of trying and pretending to be something you're not. I didn't even know I was doing that. <laughs> and then there was the show where I convert everyone to being autistic. Which is funny. What, what, what do you mean by that, convert everyone to being autistic? I change their minds. I change their minds stage by stage, take you through OCD, ADHD, all the aspects of being on the spectrum which are currently labeled as individual disorders which I think in the future will be renamed as simply attributes of being on the spectrum. And I give you a personal account of that, and I try to take, I, I teach people how to sim, and I explain to them all along they've been experiencing ADHD through me. And I get them to talk to me all the way through the show, and there's any autistic people in the audience, they can join in. So when I did Dublin, I, I was working with an 11-year-old boy in the front row, 
and a 14-year-old schoolgirl in full regalia called Pterodactyl. That's what she called herself. And she had these amazing stims that looked like the dancing used to do to heavy rock. She taught me these wonderful stims with my hand. So every time I do a show, I ask them to join in and heckle. <laughs> but I have to warn them I am a scouser with ADHD. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can try it. <laughs> that's how it all came about really it's just the the joyous use of my my positive energy so you now pretty much tour the country delivering your shows well whenever i can my day job is touring the country for the national autistic society giving a presentation on being autistic hmm. with my line manager who's the trainer and i call myself a trainer because let's see i answer questions but that's training and i have done the training myself but this team of the two of us is fantastic because you've got somebody who has a legislation and has been a support worker and is now a line manager and manager of the people, the neurotypical mother. And then you've got me as the autistic person. And I think we deliver a really good training in one day flat. That looks like full spectrum. So I've been up to Scotland twice last year. I've been all over the north and the south of England. And each time you tell them who you are, what you are, the way that, I mean, I'm 54 now. For the first few years, you'd have these brilliant training sessions and do really good shows, and you went down, and you come out shaking. Yeah. I'm out in shock because you told the truth, and, and all I'd ever done is mask. I now have a, a name for it. It's only just appeared a year ago, masking. Yeah. This evolution of the autistic community, masking, and I... I one of those old gay men who, when he was young and beautiful, was... was being gay was saying being a pervert, and now an old person, everything's okay, people love you for it. Yeah. Yeah, the fear remains. Yeah. The constant self-analysis to be something you're not. Did, I, did they realize I was weird? Did they realize I was strange? Am I in danger? Yeah. So, so do, you, do, do you think you still mask? Yeah. Yeah? yeah I always mask. I always have masking attitudes mm. out of fear. And also, that's the real world. Neurotypicals can't really relate to autistic people being autistic. And autistic people don't really have a positive culture. But being autistic, we're trying to create one. We've got one in autistic spaces we create, like Autoscape. And indeed, on your stand and amongst the people that you have and what you're doing is really impressive. I could see that little space in the autism shows, a whole group of autistic people, very young autistic people being themselves. I was talking to a person I forget their name, and they had uh, wonderful earrings. That'd be Casper. Very androgynous person, Casper. Yeah. Very impressed with them. Yeah, yeah. So I just use gender-specific terms because I'm old school. But I think that when we have a woman in charge, we should call her sir in order to de- uh, gender specific phrases rather than changing the phrases you, you redefine them yeah that makes Gun sense is always being used for the woman in charge of the police detectives and all these TV shows they get off governor and that's brilliant yeah that's what it's all about see the terms once given to men now it's given to men and women governor and you're the governor aren't you I'm the governor yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah call me sir <laughs> Um, okay, so why why the name Gorilla Aspies? Where did that come from? Well, I was looking for a working title for my book, mm-hmm. and the original title, I don't think I should name, but it was meant to be uh, two fingers up at the anti-vax movement, these, these um, bioterrorists trying to bring back epidemics and lying the heads off them about autism. 
and vaccine safety is absolutely rubbish and crazy people dealing in conspiracy theory, medical science fiction. Yeah. You start with the premise and you work backwards to develop the causes. So I couldn't use that title, and then I came up with something that was just perfect. It was a concept of masking. But I hadn't heard of the term masking. The term Aspies, of course, is short for Asperger's syndrome, and Aspies had caught on. So I thought guerrilla warfare, guerrilla activities underground. Yeah. People masking, people getting into to sealed communities. So I came up with guerrilla Aspies. And then the whole concept of the book also fell into place around that. A neurotypical society infiltration manual. And I came up with the title Free Autistic Press. <laughs> it was all based on revolutionary imagery. And uh, the person who did the cover for me came up with this Che Guevara image of my, so imagine me, myself and Che Guevara melded together. <laughs> so that was it. that's fab. So, so you, your diagnosis is autism. Yeah, but it wasn't it wasn't Asperger's because I know they don't diagnose Asperger's anymore. And where do you sit on all the different connotations? Yeah. Asperger's is a snob term. It's like being a gay man who says, well, we're not camper. And you think we've got loads of female friends. Yeah, all right, you're just autistic. Asperger's is for people who, who say, oh, I'm not autistic, low functioning, low functioning. I assume you're a low functioner or a high functioner. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's relative. Yeah. Um, no, I'm Asperger's syndrome. Yeah, oh, yeah it's, just, it's almost like the, the cool version of... Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Can't say they're autistic. I'm a Buddhist. I'm no one. I'm nothing. Okay? I'm just full of love. I'm just unconditional loving kindness. I used to go on these long two-week retreats in my movement all the way through the 30s, and I come up with all this baggage of ego had been dropped, and it felt beautiful. I don't have to prove anything. I don't have to be anyone. I'm just me. <clears throat> and I want to share that with everyone else. So I just say autistic. Because I can't call myself uh, <laughs> the names given to people who have mental handicap uh, in the past, so I could say them out loud. Uh, I prefer that. I'm just not interested in all this status business. Yeah, yeah. But I think. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I actually aspire to be no one, but nice about it. <laughs> I, I wonder if that's why they no longer diagnose it then, because it is seen as. You know, maybe people are seeking that diagnosis rather than the autism one because it's seen as cooler. Is maybe that's why they've just put it all under the one umbrella to You're remove that. Right. They just grown up for goodness' sake! Stop it! It's just autism, Asperger's syndrome. What do you mean? Oh, you mean they're autistic? Asperger's syndrome. It's a form of autism. You mean it's autism? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> and that's a relative term. Autism is a relative term for a set of specific properties you share with others of your kind. It's not really fully understood, <clears throat> which is where we have the trouble with the mad conspiracy theorists and the anti-vaxxers begging out to be brain damaged. Yeah. Actually, we're in the dark age. By the end of the century, I think we're going to be talking about different bloodlines of different brain types. Mm, yeah. It's demolishing race, gender, and sexuality as it is, that everyone can be everything. And the brain is the next frontier. The idea is no such thing as a normal brain, but there are normal socializations and normal behaviors. Mm -hmm. So you know two generations ago, women were straight-jacketed. Yes. Very specific behaviors and personalities from those behaviors. I'm, I'm always frightened to use the word normal these days, though, as well, because that's got a negative connotation that you're you're kind of implying other people are abnormal, which I'm, I'm not. Um, but there are the, I, I suppose it, a better word for it might be common. There'd be the more common behaviors versus 
those that you don't see so much. Is that fair? I've got a lot of common behaviours, Rob. Don't worry about that. I'm common as well. So, in in terms of your mission, your goal, what what you're hoping to achieve by doing everything that you do, how would you sum that up? Developing positive role model, positive self-image, showing autistic people you can be an uncompromising autistic adult without being depressed or feeling sorry for yourself or being alienated, that you can integrate into this society, but you have to concede to its terms, because autistic people just want everything on their own terms, that's the baseline. Yeah. Instinct. And we have to, everybody compromises to connect with everybody else, and we're fundamentally self centered. So it's all about social skills versus self integrity. And I'm trying to demonstrate that you can have an identity that does all of that. Yeah. And you have to have some sense of community and care about other people, even if they are only unfortunate, you know, neurotypicals, poor thing. <laughs> um, so you you I'm interested in the mental health side because you said earlier that you know when you were growing up you you didn't really have mental health issues or anything that you did have. I did, but I got over them. Yes, you got over them. I that, but I just seem to have given enough time on my own to simply recover and bounce back. I'm very lucky. I think there's a lot of people out there who just they have no predisposition to negativity. They just bounce back. It's healthy. So what, do do you think that's just that's just the way you are? And there are some people that struggle with that more than you? Slain, one day in a sporting magazine, I discovered the truth. There was a man that was a rugby player. I said, oh, yeah, I could have been an international rugby player like this other man. But my body couldn't take the little injuries that you suffered every day from training. But this other man, his body could recover from these little bits and pieces in different ways. And that's why he's able to do what he does. And I like that psychologically, the little bits and pieces that everyone gets every day. I seem to have a capacity to handle it. And bounce back. I get very anxious, mm. but I can handle that. And I've had terrible things done to me as far as I'm concerned, but you get over it. Oh, it's terrible stuff See, that, that is completely like what everything that you're saying about a positive community and being viewed in a positive way completely aligns with what we want to achieve as well. Um, yeah. But what I would love to get to the bottom of is how do you do that and other people can't? Is it purely, is there something that you do differently that we could learn from? Why can some people do it and some people can't? I spend my life walking into invisible brick walls every day. And they get a good night's sleep and they wake up the next morning and do the same again. I think my father was like that. Yeah. That's how you do it. You have the capacity, the, the determination to keep facing a life like that. You have to embrace a heroic archetype for your life of being kind of heterosexual alpha male type. You're very much into action and adventure, entertainment as a child, the archetype of Doctor Who. We talked to everyone exactly the same way, treated everyone exactly the same way, friend or foe, all the way across the 54 years of the show. The Spock versus Kirk <laughs> scenario, you, you can go from being Kirk to Spock. And these people, every single episode of every TV show, they faced a new peril, and they just did this as if it was perfectly normal. They never seemed to fatigue. They were never burned out or defeated. And they did it through reasoning, arguing, and just play fighting, as well as organizing. But it's the idea that every day you have to wake up and accept that life 
is potentially lethal, that you could face situations on the worst scale. So you're running around with this attitude of life, death, and you go to work in a, a wimpy bar or something. You go to work in an office on the edge, living on the edge, like soft, you see, with the arrows and, and the outfits. And it's like, there was a hilarious collection of adverts went out in the 90s for Lucasade because I think the first Law 2 Raider film had come out. And it was all these women who had, quote, got a bit Laura. And there was a woman running across the tables in a in a restaurant, and there was a yeah. woman from the say, yeah, and there was one in casualty saying hello to another one coming and gone a bit Laura. And it was just perfect statement for me. Yeah. You, you know, there comes a point when you listen to enough punk rock in the 70s, you were inspired to stand up for yourself by this music and these archetypes. Watching our films, you just can't help it. You just got to go out the door and face the world. And that's really what I want to inspire in other people. So do, do you almost play a bit of a game with it? Is it, is it like you're putting on a, a kind of superhero persona, persona and, and pushing through and... Ah, well, you see, every time you try something like that, someone, some situation always reduces you to how very little you are. Yeah. I used to do a lot of martial arts and I go on the tatame to do my Aikido, the mat, and you'd be reduced to about a centimetre height. Yeah. You, whatever confidence you have that day, self-belief in what you're describing, you go there and face the reality, you reduce to nothing, and then you come back from that and build yourself up from it. But that was real. What went on on that map was real. You see, that's how I do it. I'm, I don't mind being degraded and embarrassed and humiliated. You to take that as part of life. Yeah, that's that's, that's interesting because that is most people would absolutely hate the thought of that. You know, that's why I moved to London. I, I, I had to be at the highest table and play the greatest games, even though I was always going to lose. Yeah. Because so okay, that's interesting. Because it's it's almost like you accept that you accept mm. that that's the way life is, but you're using that as a tool to improve each time. Yes, yes, I have actively sought out the kind of situations every day that autistic people avoid. Okay, I didn't realize until somebody interviewed me about two years ago. And do you think that has made things better for you? Do you think you've learned more, become you, grow up, you gain, you pay, you, you get what you pay for. Yeah. I think it has in the long term, once you spend all your 30s in the Buddhist movement and then you get diagnosed autistic, but the life before that was a bit rough. Yeah. Oh my goodness, this terrible polytechnic I went to, where I didn't know what I was, and I was still trying to mask as being lied about by weird student political societies. And I had a horrible experience, horrible. I still bump into ex-students who don't know what's going on, they're trying to work out what's wrong with me. They relate to you on the basis of your reputation rather than who you are, they just play on your weaknesses. Bizarre. That's life. The world is not nice. It is not predictable and it is not safe. Autistic people want it to be nice, predictable and safe and follow rules, but it doesn't, you see. So you have to have some way of handling the fact that if you don't hide in the house every day, if you're going to live a life, go to the shops, go out to clubs, go out to pubs, go out to places, if you're going to go around doing a show, this is what's going to happen. So I've ended up at the opposite end of the experience, actually challenging people. To, to challenge me because I've developed such a technique. So I guess yes. I am really, yeah. You want to see what you're made of. It fascinates me. What's going to happen to me in every situation I go into? 
Yeah, because um, what I've seen as a very common theme on all the people that I've interviewed so far is that generally speaking, if a diagnosis is not achieved in the early years um, and therefore support and all the other things that you would expect to be in place is not in place early and people go through to being teens or adults without knowing why they're different and questioning that, that seems to cause a whole load of other mental health issues. Oh, yeah, yeah, there's no matter. <laughs> yeah, it does hurt. It does hurt. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, nearly everyone I speak to has other mental health issues as well as yeah. their autism. Um, and I, you don't come across as if you have. Well, you've had a pers- uh, acute personality disorder. Yes. Well, I've got acute personality. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just spent on my 30s healing in a Buddhist movement one. Yeah. And really could heal and had the faculty to do that. And I find stillness and simplicity leading to contentment and stillness, stillness simplicity and contentment leading to whatever insight I've got. I don't know if I've got any insight. I was always too interested in developing loving kindness for myself and everybody else. I don't know about insight and enlightenment. I knew a few people who thought they had that. Yeah. But many more. <laughs> Got away from them. I have no idea if I know what I'm doing. I just hope for the best every day. But how do you feel? And how do you relate to others? And is there, are, you, are you capable of maintaining long-term stable relationships with others no matter what state you're in? This is it. Everybody should be purposed towards healing. It's not about being strong and not having these issues. You have them, really. I have them, but I recover. Mm-hmm. It's about recovering all the time. The, the model is not about, oh, you're all right, you don't have... It's more like whatever I've, I've had, I can get over it. You have to have a process that leads to a positive outcome. Yeah. So do you put that down to your, your, your discovery of Buddhism and becoming a Buddhist? Yeah. Yeah? That and a positive attitude, wanting to... It's just self-integrity as well, having an inner world that had its own integrity and then finding the Holy Dharma as as a means of of self-development and sharing with others and then finally finding my diagnosis and I was able to hybridize the whole thing before my being a Buddhist. There is a little matter of meeting my wife. Okay. It's more important to me than I am to me. the, The secret that I didn't want to mention is, is being with my amazing wife for over 12 years, this pocket battleship, who got diagnosed at the same time I did and met me in the social room. I think I really wouldn't have achieved any of this, be able to have this conversation without you had that relationship going. Okay. Yeah. So um, with, with that, with her, what, what, what did that do for you that has helped become a vehicle to move you to where you are. Well, you never have to do any cooking or cleaning. Or... <laughs> I'm sure there's more to it than that. You're not a man, are you? <laughs> True. Well, it's having this relationship with this phenomenal person whose integrity is, I described, the self-integrity is monolithic. She cannot be compromised. She just has to pretend she can. Somebody who's so solid in themselves and straightforward and, and essentially positive uh, because she's an A-level chemistry teacher with several degrees. In autistic terms, she's a trophy wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the supermodel. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but it's as simple as that. You've got this friendship and you've got this relationship and you have that security. I mean, it's just it's the way you're made biologically. So one of those old-fashioned, boring, heterosexual 
straight man. And it's just to be in a healthy relationship. I'm sure it's like yourself with your family. You, know, yeah. you have this experience and, and it's just, that's it. You know, when all else is gone, or you've got this at the baseline and that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, did you have any relationships prior to her? Yeah. And how yeah, did how a, did they compare? I had a bipolar girlfriend, which was like playing Russian roulette. She was like something out of a James Bond film. She was great. We only lasted a few months, but she was a very good friend of mine for many years because we have a empathy for for bipolars, bipolar and autistic form relationships. And I had two other relationships with autistic people, but none of us knew we were autistic. I think particularly one from America, though, was the one that got away, as it were. She had to go back to America, but it was, oh, she was obviously on the spectrum. She was a very clever woman, became a lawyer. Yeah. But, uh, there were other relationships with neurotypicals, which with death by natural causes, it just wasn't going to work out. It's obviously that I was so focused around myself. In a way that's okay with my wife, wasn't okay with them. And well, I was, well, was a very good friend of mine. Too. Interesting. So yeah. go, I, I want to go back to what you said about you've got to be able to heal. So this mm-hmm. this thing of um, yeah. life will chuck knocks at you and kind of expect that. And the, what you're saying is the important thing is how you deal with that afterwards, how you heal and how you recover from it. Yeah. Um, so what what would be your tips for learning to heal and learning to be comfortable with yourself and love yourself and heal? You must have a positive self-image. You must wish loving kindness on yourself. You mustn't hate yourself. You're just you. How do you do that? How do you have... You must be neutral. You mustn't think you're God or think you're a devil. You just see yourself as an objective human being. You mustn't hate yourself because you can't do things you can't relate to others. That's who you are. That's how you're made. You don't go attacking yourself. I have failed. I used to be like that. I used to be like that very much. I was much younger. But you've got to simply be with yourself in peace. I don't even know if it's accepting. It's just an experience of not having to hurt yourself because you feel you fail. Failure and success are relative values. Everything's a relative value. You've got to have an an ongoing daily experience of yourself where you're neither succeeding nor failing. You're simply present, Mm -hmm. eating, sleeping, uh, and being you. You have to have activities which are neutral in terms of strength and weakness, winning and losing, success and failure. Because success and failure is not the cosmetics industry imposed on women, this form of mental illness that they try to develop in females where they relate to their self-worth in terms of how their bodies look, which is just psychiatric. It's like, what are you talking about? I'm not a human being. I'm, I'm just this assembly of hormonal triggers for the opposite sex. What? Yeah, it's just... That's just stupid. You get stuck into that. There's all these magazines trying to get to to develop this disorder in order to make money out of you and, and tart yourself up. Note the phrase in terminology. In order to to think you look a certain way when I look good, I feel good. That's just sick. Get get grow them hairy armpits, woman. Define yourself <laughs> as an individual. Live out in the woods. You see what I mean? It's all about self integrity. So yeah. I married somebody who absolutely cannot compromise himself. <laughs> Brilliant. And but but that that to me is like the holy grail. I just I mean I am not like that. I am definitely the world we live in 
does to me present in terms of success and failure and looking good or looking not and so all of those things and I I, I completely agree with where they've come from I agree with you wholeheartedly that it's just you know put upon us but over 40 years of having that dripped into my head then I'm I I still live by those things I still look at something and think have I done a good job or a bad job could I have done that better I don't feel like I've achieved on that yeah, I'd like see, to lose a stone, you know. Exactly. It's very, very hard for one person to stand up to those forces. Oh, people like to make out it. It's so hard. You have, I mean, I have had it burned out of me. What other people think? Some people say I don't care what people think of me. Well, I do because I live in fear of it. Otherwise, success or failure, praise and blame. I mean, I've just had it burned out of me. Mm-hmm. Really have other people's opinions and the way they treat you. I just want to know. So it does that too. Yeah, the whole socialization of uh, yourself and having worth and value, internal materialism. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I don't hear what you're saying. The whole thing has affected you. But, but what well, I mean, I'm sure I'm not, I think most people are like that. And I would love to get to where you are and and not be like that or where your wife is and and just be accepting of who I am. So how, how do we go from... The gorilla aspects, this idea of subversive underground activity, that there is an oppressive overworld and that you are operating beneath the radar with others. Yeah. It's not just neurodiversity and neurotypicality. And neurotypicality, it's a whole um, society, that's right, it's a whole ethos mm-hmm. of how to relate to others and yourself in Western capitalist society, worth, gain, pulling your own weight, being able to stand your own two feet and uh, pay for yourself. Yeah. And also think for yourself. People think they think for themselves, but you can't. You've got to consider other people. You've got to let other people in. So, I mean, there's old-fashioned terms you never hear, like growing up and maturity. Mm-hmm. And that's one reason I was very glad to be in the Buddhist movement, is because there were mature people in it. There was a lot of healthy, straightforward people in it. I mean, I knocked the movement I was in, but at the same time, I'm perpetually grateful to it. Yeah. Facilitating me enough to develop a critical perspective to knock it. It's such a paradox. It really is. No, I'm very grateful. It's all about growing up, really. Yeah. You, I, I'm sure I sl- sure saw in one of your slides you touched on maturity. Yeah. Um, tell well, me about that. Do you know, I've been to two school reunions, one when I was 40, one when I was 50, and I actually achieved forgiveness and love for the people I considered to have hurt me in school. And wow. I saw myself at the age of 50 as a different person who was when I was 16. I was deeply self-centered. I was not under recrimination. Right, that's it. You did this. Right, that's it. You did that. And all yeah. the end of the rest of your life. No consideration for others. Yeah. What they did to me. Have some respect for them. Consideration. Maybe they had a good reason for it. Maybe they're just silly. Maybe they just felt like it. Yeah. Not I'd ever do anything to anyone else. Well, I was frightening people every day, looking so intense and being so blunt and the way I carry on and behave. And you know, socially, I'm not very good at socialising or relating to people. That's frightening and intimidating. But you don't see me apologising for it and being considered to other people. But just people can be their own worst enemies. Mm-hmm. They really can. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so, so what what is it that you say in that? In terms, of, there's something interesting on that slide. I want to see if I can find it. Um, oh, my computer's being weird. Yeah, I know exactly, but there was something something about it's just maturity um, in that. I'll, I'll keep looking for it. We'll come back to it. Well, it's seen in terms of maturity, personality, and character. You were seen as a set of diagnostic criteria. That's it. That's what was in it. Yeah. OCD. Put the baby out of the bathwater. Get the baby out of the bathwater. Women and gay people have been playing on this all these years. It was it was the women's liberation movement, Mary Shelley, and it was LGBTI writing and perspectives that we autistic people now picked up on to work with. It was that deconstruction of yourself in society is what you are in relation to the majority. Yeah. I mean, in a man as well, it was that, it was that simple. And we're doing the same thing ourselves, that the authentic, positive, autistic identity that's nonetheless functional and capable of surviving. Yeah. And, and working and looking after itself respectfully. In our civilization, there was a song by Devo called Mongoloid. You're not supposed to say that anymore. <laughs> About somebody with Down syndrome, and it went, and he wore a hat, and he had a job, and he brought home the bacon so that no one knew. Yeah. Lloyd, he was a mongoloid, nobody even cared. It's, it's meant to be somebody with Down syndrome. Who yeah. It's normal. And that's very significant to what I've been doing. Yeah. Mass. Well, let's let's go back to that. Um, you, you said that you... You're looking for what was it you said about you want you you want to help people integrate into society, I suppose. Yeah, and society integrate into them because the this is intrinsic in everything I've talked about and everything I'm doing with the show. And also, we've now got a theatre company we got together called right. Stealth Aspies. Okay. Which, uh, I put out a survey response at the end of 2016 for our survey. But when you're late diagnosis, you're in the closet. And we built a show from it, which we brought to Edinburgh Festival in 2017. We're taking it back there in August. Oh, are you? I'm going in August. When's it on? Come and see us. It's on, I'm on the 2nd to the 4th, and then, no, the 3rd. And then the show's on the 5th to the 16th, and then I'm on the 17th to the 26th. Ah. I'm 54, I'm going to die. I mean, the last time I I came back from Edinburgh, and the day later I had the flu. Uh, (laughs) And uh, I don't know what's going to happen to me this year. And granddad's getting on a bit, I tell you. Well, the flat <laughs> I've rented now is closer to the venue, which is bar 50. Nice. Uh, okay, so the dead centre onto the bridges. And yeah, it's all yeah. Okay, every day. So there are two shows. People go and see one show and not go and see the other there. Ah! So I've got to keep reminding people there are two shows. Two shows, right. One, one with you doing your thing and then one the stealth oh, aspies. The company. The company. The company. Oh, people, men and women. And uh, we're going to have, um, because oh, the woman who is an ADHD memory, the woman who wrote the Neuroparty's Neurodiversity Manifesto, Janine Booth, the trade unionist, feminist, Marxist, uh, London Underground uh, supervisorist, mum of many kids, Aspie, she's unable to come this year uh, for personal reasons and actually for real trying to save the global proletariat. So we'll be reading her amazing poems. Okay. And we're having all very well uh, one or two people coming in who are also autistic. So we'll have super subs on. But, uh, she, she literally said to John McDonald, Labour Party, why have you got a neurodiversity manifesto? And he said, because you have written it. So she and Monique Crane wrote it. 
We now have it. Let's go to the website. The only political party to actually acknowledge this was a kind because normally we only exist in medical terms. Yeah. Disability. The BBC only references autistic people in the Ouch podcast or that awful pity porn, parent porn program, The A Word, which I couldn't even watch. The oh, really? I, I have to say I quite enjoyed it, but I don't think it was, I think it was more of a general drama than anything to do with autism, really. Yeah, it, was, it was a neurotypical pity parent porn thing. And they did bring in an actor who's autistic in series two. Oh, look, he's got autism. Hello. And he's out the window. Yeah. Oh, he's out the door. Oh, my God. It was pathetic. It was like this tokenism, basically. They don't really understand it would help if we had a proper uh, Aspie drama about, say, a group of very successful scientists living together in, in an apartment in America, and they, they keep going to you know, Comic-Con, and they hang out in the science fiction store, and all these major figures turn up, like Stephen Hawking, and, oh, we have got that! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sheldon Cooper. There's even a young Sheldon the, the producers of the Big Bang Theory swore they never set out to create a great autistic icon. Yeah. <laughs> it's Rosenfeld at the bridge. Yeah. Ah, uh, <laughs> uh, totally there. Someone like Hans Rosenfeld, the show under the bridge. So one of those guys in that show must producing it, writing it, has got to be on the spectrum. Yeah. This thing is, you know, with the Swedish Aspies sneaking it in. So I'm I'm interested in this social integration because I want to understand it because what what do you mean by that? Is it is it that because everyone would say that they have challenges with that um, and they find it really really hard. So this is not about you changing them because I don't think that's what you mean. Is it more more about giving them the tools to enable them to have a fuller life? Yeah, it's both. It's both. It's, okay. it's trying to change. I'm trying to write, help write, I should say. I, I consider myself a part of the punk rock of neurodiversity. It really started in the late 1990s, Mary Cole's Danda. And in the early 90s, Jim Sinclair's Outreach in America. And Jim Sinclair's writing the piece Don't Mourn for us. And then I got diagnosed in 2004, and I met all these amazing autistic people. Oh, marvelous, amazing. That's the language for you. Like Dr. Dinah Murray, uh, Wen Lawson. And uh, oh God, uh, Mary Coley, who created Danda, and Damian Milton, and self-advocates who are on the London scene. I went to the first two autoscapes, met all these other people, KB Brooks, Dr. Catriona Ann Stewart, the Scottish Women Autistic Network, and KB as the autistic uh, rights group Highland, uh, functional self-advocacy groups that, that have held together. And... Other people uh, <laughs> couldn't name one. Uh, there's one particularly famous woman I was very close friends with and used to go around to her house, but we don't see each other now. But uh, I went to Belgium with her and her friends. I went to Brussels uh, and saw the first ever autistic person speak in the chamber right. uh, against the uh, weird cures and the drugs being pumped into autistic kids too. Yeah. To make the neurotypical, she's trying, trying to... Um, uh, bringing legislation to protect autistic children from weird interventions and cures. So I was part of this. I joined all the Melody's people socially and hung out with them in my private life. And now they are the National Autistic Task Force. All the all the Aspies with PhDs like uh, Larry Arnold uh, and um, the people who run Autoscape. And I, uh, also the Participatory Autistic Research Collective. They're all mates and. 
I, uh, because I have this great skill set and this personality as we've defined, I started performing again and I ended up creating the show, paying for it myself, got the uh, band together with, with Stealth Aspie. So on the one hand, it's everything I've discussed, but on the other hand, you see the scale I'm operating on, mainly because of the internet is global, yeah. is using film and YouTube and performing in front of audiences. I've inadvertently made myself a or a Johnny Rotten, or a, I, I'd like to be David Bowie. Yeah. But I think they're going to remember me as the Iggy because of my energy, my in-your-face behavior, which is, which is fine by me, the James Altenberger yeah. Awardism, as opposed to the, the David Rod Jones. Well, I'll make music as well, but it's so good. It's a, <laughs> I want to be Bowie. Um, so yeah, this, sorry the, the the social integration stuff. Because um, yeah. I, I don't want people to listen to this and get the wrong idea. Because you're not about changing people. You're not about forcing them to fit in. You're about giving them the tools to exist yeah. in this world. Is that the right summary of it? Yeah, you can't force it. You, the people have got to do their own thing and work. But you also said earlier that it's you've you've got to play by the rules of so-called normal it's society. That's the, that's the book, you see. Uh, the normal is not really quantified. Abnormal is. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Uh, rules of being a lady, etiquette in society, Mrs. Beaton's cookbook on how to run the household. You know? mm-hmm. uh, so, exactly, how not to be gay <laughs> in straight society. How to be a neurotypical. Well, I had to write something that satirized it put it politely, that attacked it and generally ripped it up, abusive attitude, um, because that's how we really feel, as, as I can say. And I try to be a kind of Lou Reed figure, writing beautiful stories of the, the crude obscenity of real life. And just, I meet a lot of autistic people, I listen to a lot of autistic people who try to reflect their experiences as best I can. Yeah. That's really what it's all about, trying to be this conduit. I don't know if I'll ever be an international star of autism. I, I just toddle on, look after my wife, uh, because she has very bad diabetes. So we've always got a focus in the household that yeah. takes us out of ourselves. My wife's an incredibly brave woman. Mm. Brave, brave. Uh, and it's as simple as that. And thankfully, I spent all my 30s in the body movement, so I don't have to be anybody. This isn't some big ego trip. I think that did happen with one project. Yeah. Years ago, I heard about that there was a guy running it. It was just an almighty ego trip. And then the other uh, self advocacy groups that have come and gone and failed, particularly around London, seem to be egomanics. Yeah. They really are. And you've got to watch that in the field of advocacy. You get people in these groups and everything has to be their way. Yes. My role is to facilitate other people. I just run around trying to support people as the secretary and the gopher. Yeah. Don't lead anything. So it seems to me it's it's like your your thing is that you are what you are. Yes. The world is the way the world is. Yep. Changing the way the world is is almost too big a task. Well, I'm working on it. But we're trying. Um, yes. But therefore, it's it's equipping people with the tools to survive in that world. Yeah, yeah and change it locally around. Yes. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay, is there anything... Um, before we finish that you've not said that you want the world to know? I want the world to know they've only got three copies of my book left as edition two. 
has run out. Uh, edition one was 100 copies. Edition two, four months later, was 500 copies. Ooh. Now I've got three left. So I'm going to have two on sale in Manchester tomorrow. And then there's one left for eBay. And then after that, if you want to buy the book, you can get it on Kindle. But that's edition one. I haven't uploaded edition two yet. It's driving me mad how to do it. Someone else did it for me. <gasps> I should have done it by now. But it's, it's one of those many things I've got a bit of a dyslexia for. A blind spot. And the other thing is, there are many books by going around on Amazon. If you want to get the hard copy, okay. I'd advise you to get edition two. Uh, it's on Amazon. And it's so on Amazon. I, there's an Aspie in Brighton editing my book at the moment because he couldn't stand the punctuation. So he asked if he could edit it. <laughs> and then once it's finished, I'll print them. I'll just bang. They'll just appear. Excellent. Uh, yeah, keep an eye on my website for. Yeah the books and the shows and there are t-shirts and there are badges there yeah badges. I've seen the badges yeah, yeah I like the badges. Badges. and also keep an eye on uh, Stealth Aspies and uh, Theatre Company and the Gorilla Aspies show look out for that and if you want me to come do my show just set up a venue and a place and I just come over and do it that would be awesome. That'd be really good because we're, we're, we're looking at adding some training and things to our repertoire over the next year to 18 months. And yeah, it'd be great to have you. I think it'd be Thanks dead interesting. I started creating new talks for the National Autistic Society. Very excited because I was asked to give a presentation on anxiety. And I came up with a whole hour talk, which was just mind blowing. A, that I was allowed to, to put all this together as a concept and B, that it worked. Yeah. The talk on the autism show has been really well received, which is also astounding that people think this is good and it works. It's all my ideas, you see. And they have people like Catriona and, and other autistic scholars. Yeah. Like. And yeah, I gave a presentation for Dr. Luke Bearden in Manchester, part of his training on a postgraduate course about a couple of weeks ago, and he actually loved it. Good. What I was doing is just I had this kind of validation. Yeah. It's quite, it's quite an honour and privilege in my life. No, absolutely. It sounds like as you since since diagnosis, it's almost like you found yourself and you found your yep. calling, and it's it's fab. It's really good. Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Um, well, it's been fab to chat to you. Thank you very much. I'm sure everyone will find that really interesting. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Keep smiling. Will do. <laughs> Welcome back. We hope you enjoyed that. Um, I did. They, they, he appreciates how great Casper is. I don't know why I called him a they. I guess I just somehow forgot his gender somehow. Yeah, so, um, like I said, I didn't meet him at the show, but um, he met Casper and he loved Casper. Because Casper is perfect. I've made notes because that was just such an interesting podcast. I've taken so much away from that. I, I had to write down everything because it was just so filled of stuff. That's um, good because I, I I did not sleep properly. Everything went in one ear and out the other. So yeah, but um, I found it very interesting that he was diagnosed at forty one and he didn't suffer with any any real mental health problems. Where a lot of people do suffer with mental health problems, it's interesting that he puts down that uh, puts that down to Buddhism, which I think is really interesting because that. I mean, um, I'm trying to think in different ways. It doesn't have to be a religion, but I think there are certain ways that you can help your own mental health. So the the fact that Paul is a Buddhist and that helps him, I'm thinking of myself with CBT and you with your therapist. It doesn't it doesn't always have to be therapy. I think there's something for everybody to help get that release from mental health problems. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. I'm tired, Mrs. But yeah, I found that really really interesting. <gasps> um, 
sorry, I'm looking at my notes again because it, it was just fascinating. I found that really fascinating. Um, so yeah, he obviously he's wrote a book, uh, Gorilla Aspie, and I was actually looking on Amazon and some some people are selling it for like 100 quid, which is bizarre. But yeah, if you yeah, want to get a copy. I, I know things like that. There's I, loads, isn't there? I remember when people were selling a plushie, I got the 13 pounds or yeah. 200 pounds. Crazy. But yeah, um, have a look for his book. The, he works with the Stealth Aspie Theatre Company as well. Um, like you said, if you want to watch him, you can get in touch. Just follow his website if you want to go and watch him. If you've seen him already, I'd love to know what you thought because I think I'd really like to go and watch his show. Um, yeah, I've, I've just wrote too much down and I just can't get it all out. Uh, so I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I really did enjoy that. And I just, I love that he's a Scouser. Mm. I love Scouse accents. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, I've just, just wrote too much down. It's just, I really enjoyed that and I really hope that you did too. So we will see you again next week for another amazing podcast. We've got some really good people coming up. I'm really excited about a lot of these podcasts. Uh, we are going to pop off to Newcastle for the weekend. And not right now. Not right now. She needs some sleep. Right now I'm probably starting to draw. Yeah. Um, if you're listening to this and you're not listening to the full version and you want to hear the full version, you need to subscribe. So please become a VIC because there's so many great benefits. Become a VIC or else I will come to your house and politely ask you to become a VIC. It's really good being a VIC, isn't it? Yeah. Because you get to go in the VIC um, group. For some reason, I still have articles on the website blocked to me because I'm not logged in. Yes, you need to log in if you are. Oh, if you are. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know my login. I'll find it for you. If you're a VIC, log in to get to the members area. Anyway, we'll see you next week for another podcast. I was just trying to read the, the, the article. I was like, oh, you aren't a VIC. You can't read it. So I was like, heck yeah, I'm not a VIC. <laughs> I am literally the reason this company exists. Well, I should be allowed to read this. We will find your login. So anyway, have a great week. Um, join us on Sunday for our live. My hair is so messy. It is very messy. We'll try and be a bit more awake for our live, won't we? Yeah. If you've got any questions that you want to ask us for live, send them to us in advance and then we'll ha uh, write them down. We'll have something to work from when we get started then, yeah? yeah. Uh, but we'll see you again soon. Bye. Bye. Uh, and thanks, Paul. Bye, yeah. Amazing podcast. Uh, why did I say bye, yeah? That isn't even a Bye, yeah. Bye. Bye later, Crocker Gator. <laughs> you know what?